Hey guys, welcome back to the Kind of an Expert podcast, the only podcast where the guest picks the topic of every single episode. My name is Corey Tindall, and as always, I am your host. And this week, I sat down with New York City comedian Ryan Thomas to talk about the philosophy of acceptance. Uh, This is not originally what we were going to talk about. We were going to talk about some of his travels, Um, but it's just kind of where the conversation started, and we kept going with it. We do talk about travels a little bit, talk about different cultures with acceptance um, and what makes people happy. It's a real, just kind of a philosophical conversation that you got that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Uh, you can follow him at Ryan Thomas Comedy on Instagram and TikTok. He makes really great videos, uh, kind of weekend update-esque, so go check those out for sure. He also has a podcast um, whose name I put down in the show notes, so go check out a few episodes of that. Um, and then as always, follow me at Corey T Comedy on all social media and come check out my shows in Midtown Manhattan at the Three Monkeys. With that, please remember to like and subscribe and enjoy the episode. software called audacity oh audacity yeah Yeah. (laughs) i used it in high school and i was like i wonder if this would work for a podcast (laughs) i didn't even need to relearn it it was like this is amazing i just keep rolling with it i use audacity for one thing and one thing only like i use first i use oh what is that shit called descript i don't know it descript is dope okay because it automatically transcribes the podcast oh yeah wait i've seen ads for this on tiktok Descript is awesome. And then you can highlight a paragraph or a sentence or an um, and then just click delete. And then it automatically deletes that from the podcast. No shit. So it makes it way easier to edit. And then you can also make these little, they call them audiograms, but like to promote your podcast where it'll transcribe it, have like whatever backsplash picture you want, whatever tile. And then... The audio will be going, and then you have the words going across, too. Nice. It's, it's pretty right. sweet. Okay. And then what I do is I take that, and I put it in GarageBand so I can add whatever music. Yep. And then I put that in Audacity so I can normalize the audio. There so you that's go. That's all I use Audacity yep. for. Hey. Mm-hmm. It's free. That's what it's. Yeah. That's what it's good for, right? And it looks free too. That's what yes, I love it about does. it. <laughs> yeah, you download yeah, yeah. it, and you're like, "Oh, this feels like, like Napster." Feel, yeah, I was gonna say LimeWire. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. It feels like 2003. Mm-hmm. The FBI is gonna send me an email that says, "Stop downloading <laughs> this shit." Oh. Did All you right, ever we, get one of those? No, but my homie did. I won't use his name. <laughs> oh my gosh! So like, I just in high school, I had this friend that was super hack smart. Yeah. He created a hack for Counter-Strike that he would sell and make like thousands of dollars a month off of because Counter-Strike couldn't detect the hack. No and so shit. It was, it was an auto-aim headshot hack. Oh, wow. So if you turned it on, all of a sudden, it, you just really the button impactful. and bam, yeah. you're there for the headshot. Wow. And then he kept one for himself that was auto-headshot kill. So you didn't even have to pull the trigger. It's just If he turned it on, he went into God mode and just... It was the coolest thing ever. Oh, man. And so he would just get into trouble and hack stuff. And one time, I don't know if he hacked into 
an FBI database, a bank, whatever. He, he was somewhere he shouldn't have been. Jesus. It was like really, really high level. Getting out over his skis. Very much. And so they sent him a letter beforehand and said, hey, we're coming this day to check your shit out. And so he was like, oh, well, I don't know why you told me that's all right, whatever, fine. Yeah. So he just took his server and hid it at his cousin's house and they came through and searched the house. And he had to lie to his parents about why the government <laughs> was at his door. So, yeah, I've certainly never got the cease and desist. That's that's way worse than anything. I just got like an email from my internet provider that was like, hey, stop downloading Soundgarden. And I was like, that's not me. And it turned out it was one of my roommates. So I had to like yell up the stairs like, hey, whoever's illegally torrenting Soundgarden, just use fucking iTunes. I just like, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble here. Um but yeah, what God? What were we talking about? How did well, we, we get were, there? How how <laughs> did we get here? Wait, oh, I didn't care at all now how we got here, but now I'm curious. We were talking about LimeWire. Oh, because yeah. we were talking about Audacity yeah, and the illegal, editing, yes, and the illegal, illegal streaming. Yeah, and then what happened? How's this for a segue? After I graduated college and got outside of the LimeWire stuff, okay, I realized maybe like six months into my job that I actually had money. And yeah. I was living at home. I was like, wait a second. I could just buy, I could just pay $10 a month for Spotify. Yeah. Like, I don't have to do this illegal stuff anymore. I don't know why I'm looking for like Amazon Prime and Broken Fire Six. Like, I can pay $2 to rent a movie yes. online. Yeah. And it was so freeing. Yeah. Especially because I was living at home for two years. So oh, I was, wow. I was basically rich. Yeah. Like, my mom was paying for, for the food, for the rent. I don't, yeah, I didn't have to pay for anything. Your mental health gas. was poor, but the rest of you was rich. The mental health was honestly pretty good. Really? Yeah. Wow, I'm jealous of that. Mm -hmm. Like I've said it before, I love my parents. I like I stayed with them for two months during the pandemic. I get along with them. Like we had one fight in two months, and yeah. that ended like that was resolved like pretty much immediately. But man, do I need my own space? Like I cannot stand hanging out at my parents for an extended period of time and we're talking like months i could never live yeah. there well now yes but when i was like 22 it was it was fine it was Fair. whatever but then also that was i moved in like right after my dad died and so it was like kind of like a, a good thing to be with the family yep but then in this like do you have anyone like close to you that's passed away like family no. or whatever all right so people get kind of weird when i say this but like this is very true it wasn't so bad, you know, silver lining to everything. I was like, you know, if dad was here and I was living here, I would have to do way more chores. He'd be like up my ass all the time. Like mom is way more chill. So like, and I, I literally was thinking that I was like, I mean, I miss him. And like, yeah. I'm very sad that he's gone, but also like nothing is all good and nothing is all bad. So let's look right. at the positive and be like, yeah, this is nice. I like not doing chores. <laughs> so I probably stayed at home longer Less so to keep my mom company because yeah. like she was doing she was doing pretty good that makes sense. and way more so because it was like no this is a chill environment yeah and also like I wasn't I wasn't out here in these streets I wasn't out here getting getting vagine left and right so right I wasn't really missing out on much yeah no that wasn't my problem <laughs> <laughs> what? Like it's, are your parents like particularly annoying people or is no. it just they're your parents and you're their kids no so? it's just it's the like. Well, uh, part of it, I think, is that I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. So I've always, like, and part of it is just my general attitude. I've always felt like I needed to, like, be super independent. Um, and so even when I was home, and, like, 
they didn't have rules for me. I could stay out as late as I wanted, like all this other stuff. I think a lot of it was like I knew that I was inconveniencing them. So like oh. every night for dinner, my stepmom would have to be like, are you coming back for dinner? Like, hey, are you going out before? Are you going to be back before I go to bed? Should I lock the door? And it's yeah. like, it's always that communication where it's like, I don't want them worrying about it. I don't want to worry about it. I would rather just be like, have my own spot where it's just me kind of worrying about this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's partially the like selfishness and then partially at the same time trying to be considerate, which is a weird dynamic. Are you saying that you felt like a burden to your parents? <laughs> it feels like I am that's a burden to my saying. parents. No, no, no. Um, no, I'm so not a burden to my parents. Very independent um, to the point where I don't call them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's easy. Like, are you from, where are you from? San Jose, California. So, so, so does your mom still live out there? Or are you? Nah, so we were out there for like 19 or 20 years. That's like where I spent like my whole life basically. Sure. And then she moved maybe like five years ago, something like that, to St. Augustine, Florida. Because mm. she loves the beach. Yeah. So now she has a super sick, sweet beach house. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Another reason to live at your mom's. Yeah. <laughs> and they also like, they came up because when they moved to San Jose... Like the house was like four hundred thousand dollars, and they were from like Virginia, North Carolina. So they were like, oh, 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 God, "Yeah, I will pay it. We'll do it. We'll find it." And then she like remodeled the house, and six months later, sold it. And we're like, "Wait, what's happening? The house is nicer than it's ever been. Why are you saying?" She's like, "I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to Florida." And I don't know. I don't remember how much it sold for. But it was easily over a million, like for yeah. sure, because it had been like 20 years in the Bay Area is ridiculous. That's why it was easy to move away from the Bay to here, because you look at it and you're like, I'm not going to be able to afford anything here. Like, I'm right. not I'm not going to pay a million dollars for a 1400 square foot house. I'm going to pay a few thousand dollars for 500 square. Yeah, foot exactly. <laughs> in New York, that's a much better yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But but here's the upside. I will be woken up by screaming homeless people. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Sirens and also yep. creepy ice cream trucks. I get a lot of college kids in my neighborhood. Oh. NYU's right there. So it's like I don't even have a bar on my street, but they just like four in the morning. They just start screaming. It's not even words. They're just screaming. Dear just scream. Lord. And I was like, I'm sure I did that in college, but I also didn't live in an area where people paid over, you know, 5000 a month. To live there, I do not pay to- five thousand a month to live here. <laughs> I was about to say, like before Jesus people start, <laughs> Manhattan is expensive. I mean, it is. For those of uh, you listening, this does not look like a five thousand dollar apartment. No, at all. No, 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 no. All of this furniture is from Amazon. Oh, nice. <laughs> we we so we moved into. I moved here with uh, one of my roommates from San Francisco. He's a data scientist, so he's got money. Yep. And I was like, all right, I could pay relatively little and move in a new city and like not know where anything is and not have any friends and just be by myself but save money or I could move in with this guy that I know and like and pay more than I want because he wants to live in a nice place oh I gotcha so I chose to do that yeah and then what we did because so the roommate cost you more oh yeah normally people save money when they get a roommate yeah yeah the roommate definitely cost (laughs) me more and honestly totally worth it totally worth the investment yeah Nikhil is awesome and so when we moved in we were like man we are this place is very nice, but we're also paying a lot for this place. Let's go to the garbage room 
and dumpster dive for our furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what we did. Just yeah. every day, we just went down. I'm not above it. Made friends with the employees. Like, There's some nice stuff. We were like, there is some nice stuff here. Yeah. So we got like our table from there. We got like a hodgepodge of random chairs from there. Yep. For a little while, we had a sectional couch from there. But then I came up because my friend was moving out. So I got a couple couches from him. And we just had to pay the moving fee for it. So it was a pretty good setup. But That is an interesting dynamic because you bring up like, oh, I got money now. I could pay $10 for Spotify. Mm -hmm. But I still grew up thinking that dumpster diving was acceptable. Like that, dre <laughs> that dresser, the desk chair, the mat behind you, they were all dumpster finds. This and so, the like, best. It is the best because like, well, so the dresser and the desk chair, um, my building had a lot of uh right when the pandemic hit had a lot of people that moved from china uh -huh. and so when everything locked down they just peaced out yeah and come june july when their rentals were up like they're not coming back for their shit so the the apartment was just the like come up it was like a hodge it was like everything down in the lobby and they just slapped a free sign on all of it and they were like who fucking wants it i think it was the only person in the entire building like People, when yeah. that happened, I was like, I'll take that and I'll take that desk chair and I'll take like a bunch of hangers that are really nice. And like, <laughs> it's funny when you see quality hangers, you're like, you know what? If it's free, I do like yeah, better hangers. This is like solid wood as I keep my dress shirts on it mm -hmm. instead of like the little metal wire. Yeah, and it always are, gets a kink in the shoulder. And used for abortions. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, they don't use wood. No, 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 no. Those These are cruelty are free hangers. <laughs> That's a halal hanger. <laughs> I like my hangers kosher. I want to apologize yes, for it. Exactly. But then when you do the dumpster dive, it's like the other people in your nice building look at you like you. They're like, mm, look at this this yeah. poor street urchin, and you're like, you're dumb. Yeah, I didn't pay for this nice thing. Someone else paid for this. It's free. I'm fiscally responsible. Yeah, like if you go to someone's house and they cook you dinner, you don't offer to pay them for the dinner. You enjoy <laughs> the gift that they've given you. Yes, and that's what dumpster diving is. It's a wonderful pastime. Well, how did how did you grow up? Paint a paint a picture of your like family life growing up. Did you uh, like in your family were you guys like uh, uh, maybe not dumpster diving, but like give me give me a picture of like. What was your family's attitude towards stuff like dumpster diving? Because I'm not saying growing up my family's furniture was trash or anything. Uh -huh. But like, you know, it was never like every weekend my buddy and I would go to all the garage sales to see if we could like find something for a dollar. Like yeah. that's, that's the type of attitude my like parents were all encouraging of going to garage sales. All right. Let me. I, this might sum it up the best. So I grew up. I don't think that I ever thought we were poor and we certainly were not but i also thought we were way more poor than we were based off the things that we got like compared to my friends yes okay and it was like dumb that. stuff it was there were a few things it was one was like a game system like we had an original nintendo and a super nintendo yep but we didn't have the n64 and my friends did so i was like all right like we must not like have that much money because like we can't afford an N64. Yeah. But then it was even other dumb stuff. Like I would go to my friend's house and they would have a pantry. And they'd have like Scooby-Doo gummies in the pantry yeah. and like fancy syrup. Yep. And I'd be like, man, like these people are so rich. Brand name cereal. Yeah. yeah. They'd have 
Fruit roll-ups. I was like, oh my yes. god. Fruit roll-ups and brand yeah. name cereal for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had like the we had like Trader Joe's one bars from fucking Costco, mm-hmm. so, which were good. I'm not gonna not gonna say they were bad, but yeah, fruit roll-up was not uh, something at my house. Yeah, we didn't have fruit roll-ups. We had Honey Nut Cheerios, and sometimes we would have Frosted Flakes, but like we never had Fruit Loops or Reese's Puffs and all that. So I was like, man, like we. I guess I guess pops is just hurting. I guess like mom and dad just don't they can't afford Lucky Charms. So like we have so like that was my thinking as a kid. But then this pretty much sums it up. Where one time I came home from my friend's house and my brothers came out and they were amped. They were like, "Dude, we got an N64." So like, we've been asking for an N64 for like two years. There's no way we have an N64. Stop fucking with it. And they was like, "No." Dad got us an N64. I was like, "Well, now I know you're lying. There's no way Dad would spend money on an N64." And they were like, "No." He found it at a yard sale. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, we got an N64. <laughs> yes. If he found it at a yard sale, I'd know it's true. Yeah. So that was like the whole thing is like my dad, especially, but like my mom would go to and like sometimes my dad would bring the neighbors. Like they just loved coming up on stuff at yard sales. So like yep. half the time we'd probably have to go with them and just see what we could find. Like, so that's where we got our golf clubs from. Yeah. That's where we got our video games from. Yep. That's where we got a whole bunch of furniture from. Tennis rackets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tennis rackets. Like, all the <laughs> stuff that, like, you really didn't need, but you're like, oh, it's it's $2? Yeah. Yeah, sure. We'll play tennis. Yeah. And there was nothing There was nothing better than, like, the garage sale find. It was like, like, I paid 10 bucks for a tennis racket. And I went home, and I Googled it. It was like a $120 racket. And I was like... Oh my God! Like this is a great racket. This is this the is art awesome. Of the come up. Yeah, ex- exactly. But it's interesting that you bring a uh, like bring up the idea of relative wealth, mm-hmm. because like looking back on it for me, either it's not. I don't think we were poor by any means. Mm-hmm. But like I grew up in a super rich neighborhood, to the point where like I had classmates who, like one of my classmates, uh, their family was the founder of Bissell Vacuum. So like we, I went to school with the Bissells, and like they had basketball courts in their basements, and like all this other shit. So like the founder of Bissell Vacuum. Bissell Vacuum, yeah. They're named the Bissell. Yeah, they're the Bissells. They named a vacuum company after themselves. Did they have like pop art of just the vacuum? I never went. I never went into their house. I only saw the outside of it because it was on like this little lake. They had like a seven stall garage in like this mansion that we would like walk by when we were walking around the lake. Um, But then like there were people in my grade that I didn't even know were rich. Uh And I show up at their house in like full basketball court in their basement, not even outside, but like in their basement. And I was like, what the fuck is going? Like, this is nuts. Like I got a $10 tennis racket, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but it was actually $120. So it was actually $120. Yeah. So it's like um, the other part of it was uh, like travel. Mm-hmm. Like my family is big road tripping family. Yeah. Like we did Michigan to Seattle. I've done Michigan to Denver a couple of times. Like we drove down to Florida every other year. We did like a trip out to New York. So it was like we're driving everywhere. But all my classmates are like, yeah, we flew down to Mexico. Like spring break. Oh, yeah. Me, my mom let me bring like seven of my friends. We all went to Mexico for spring break. And like I was like how much like how poor are we it was like why can't we do that not even realizing you can't calibrate we're no yeah we were the normal ones Uh but when you're surrounded by everybody else Mm -hmm. it's in your head you're like wow are we fucking poor like (laughs) and i now that you mention it 
as a child, what you value is, I don't know how to say it, but it's very fascinating because for me, you being rich was based off if you had stuff that I valued, not necessarily that you had stuff that was expensive. Yes. Which in a way is kind of enlightened because mm. that's what, you know, people say like, I, I was never poor, but I was broke yeah. or I don't have money, but I'm rich in blessings. Right. And so to me, like if I would have had the 64 box of Crayola crowns, I would have been a rich kid. I would yes. have felt so wealthy, even though that cost what, like maybe $15 right. or something like that. Like children come out with like their own currencies at yes. school. Like, do you remember the little like rubber bands that went around people's wrists where you took it off and turned into an animal? Yeah. And it was like a bag of those couldn't have cost more than $2.50. <laughs> but if you had a bunch of them, it was like, yeah, that guy, mm -hmm. he knows what's up. <laughs> and that's what's so funny is like we get older and all of a sudden what matters to us is money and the fact that that $10 racket is actually a $120 racket. So now it matters more. But when you're younger, it's just like, no, this is valuable because it has value to me and it yeah. makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like as I get older, I've, I've uh, put value into different things, right? Like now I, my... My taste has gotten a little more expensive as mm -hmm. I have lived in New York and started to make more money, as is what happens. Like you you live in a place like New York and you're your like, taste oh, this just shit gets. is better. <laughs> well, it's so what I value is things that save me time. Mm -hmm. So like I when I'm making breakfast, I decided it was worth a lot of money to buy like a really nice pan uh -huh. because I, I only ever had for the first like four years I was here really shitty pans that would take me like five minutes to clean because yeah. eggs would stick to them. Uh -huh. So I was like, you know what? It's worth a hundred dollars to me to not have to worry about cleaning this fucking egg pan. Convenience. So it's like, yes, I have a really nice pan, mm -hmm. but it's not because I need a really nice pan. It's because it's actually saving me time and mm -hmm. a headache. Yeah. Convenience. That's, that's how Jeff Bezos made all that money is like his, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, I forgot his core tenant because I haven't been working in a long time, but I used to work at Amazon and he used to say customers are like infinitely unsatisfied or yes, always frustrated or something like that. And he's like, and that's what's great is like, we don't have to worry about the competition. We just have to know that they always want to be have more and more convenience. And now he's going to be a trillionaire in like a few years. Yeah. So they say because people are lazy. Yeah. In fact, we're so lazy that this this is a whole ball of wax. So I'll just try to get in and yeah. get out with this point. But way back in the day when the immigrants were fucking up the Native Americans, at a certain point, they were trading with them and saying, all right, like you guys are good at trapping animals or getting pelts or whatever it is we want. So you do that. And then in exchange, we'll give you a kettle, for example. Sure. And then the Native Americans were like, oh, man, this kettle is awesome. Because, like, all I have to do is trap an animal, and then I get a kettle, and then I don't have to worry about, like, weaving baskets or making clay pots, which takes forever. And so what happened is a lot of tribes lost or at least regressed in so much knowledge that they had accumulated over the years mm. because they were just like, this is convenient. I like convenience better. And it's yeah. just a human trait. It is, Yeah. That is interesting. It's it's kind of a there's like a meme that goes around of like uh it's it's making fun of the boomers. 
mm-hmm. but they're like old men are like kids don't know how to like you know they they don't know how to what's what some old people know how to do that we they don't know how to knit anymore like <laughs> they don't they don't know how to cook or clean or do any of that anymore yeah. um and then like the rebuttal is like well you guys don't know how to blacksmith anymore like <laughs> we don't need to like the shit is done for us so it's it's really like so laziness is is one path right mm-hmm. like i bought a nice pan so that i don't have to clean it so i could sit on my couch for three minutes longer yeah the other path would be <laughs> i bought a nice pan so i don't have to clean it so i can get back to work faster mm-hmm. and that's like five minutes yeah. so one of those is like you know not productive yeah. but the other one is kind of like well i did just gain five minutes of productivity which like you add up over the year mm-hmm. it's like a thousand minutes of extra work now whether that's like health mentally healthy or not is uh you know yeah a different argument but there is something to be said for like technology that actually like helps push society forward like the kettle for mm-hmm. the the native americans yeah, because you were spending so much time making clay pots out of necessity. Right. But in reality, you didn't actually want to make the clay pot unless that was your literal passion. Yes. You just wanted to have something to carry water or grains or what have you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we get real philosophical. What do people want? Oh, snap. <laughs> you know? Because if, <clears throat> if you have infinite convenience then that would mean essentially like you just you have as much time to dilly dally and be in your own thoughts or cavort do whatever you want to do with your time yep but what would you do with that time god this is kind of a cheat code but people want to know what they want and then to be able to do that yes but the only way to really know what you want is to have time to think about it and if you think about how much time it takes you to learn U.S. history, trigonometry, chemistry, whichever subject, and how many hours you have to put into even getting a cursory understanding of that and how those fields, at least in the basic knowledge, are static, right? And then you apply that to understanding people and individuals and individuals who are far more volatile than humanity as a whole and less predictable. You don't have a shot in hell of figuring out what it is you want barring putting in a lot of time or getting extremely lucky and stumbling upon it. But we spend so much time working the nine to five, taking care of family, hanging out with friends, getting drunk, doing whatever that we just don't have time or we don't make time to figure it out what it is we really want. Yeah. I like, so one of my, uh, one of my favorite sayings that I learned in college of a psychology degree is that people don't people are actually awful judges of knowing what they want Mm -hmm. however they're excellent judges of knowing what they don't want because that's a self-fulfilling prophecy so if i were to say i don't want to go get chinese food for Uh dinner then i know or sorry not not knowing what we want knowing what's going to make us happy 
Because what uh-huh. we want doesn't always equate to making us happy. Okay, so, so to revise, yes, we revise. do know what we want. We know what we want. We we are awful at judging what's going to make us happy, but we are very okay. good at judging what's going to make us unhappy. So like, mm-hmm. if I know that getting Chinese food is going to make me unhappy, if I'm forced to go get Chinese food, I'm unhappy because I know it. But if I don't know what I want, or maybe I don't think of Chinese food, and then you go, hey, let's go get Chinese food, I might show up and I'll eat it, and then I don't know if it's going to make me happy or not uh-huh. because it wasn't an active an active state. And so I truly believe that most of the time, with unless unless we active unless an individually individual actively does not want something uh-huh. or knows that it will make them unhappy to do something, they should just go with whatever's presented to them. Because it, because it, they it's don't basically know. a toss up. Yeah. Between what what you think is what you want uh-huh. and what someone else suggests, it's about a 50-50 shot. Which one's actually going to make you happy? Okay. So then the question becomes, is there a way to hack the system and get better at predicting what actually will make you happy? Um, I personally believe that just accepting learning to accept whatever happens uh-huh. is going to lead to more happiness in the long run uh-huh. so if you accept what's given to you then it may or may not make you happy but over the long run like it's it's going to make you less unhappy than if you try to resist something that was given to you true What's that Does based that off of? Is that like your own life philosophy? That's, yeah, that's based off my own life philosophy. And then there's also, um, you ever listen to Scott Galloway? Scott Galloway? I don't think so. He's a he's a podcaster. He's a professor at NYU. Does like business podcasts and and stuff like that. And he uh-huh. he always he's he does marketing. And he always says people don't want choice. They want to be assured that the choice they're making is the correct one. Mm. And so, like that's essentially what Apple did. Right, they don't give you any choice. Mm-hmm. You have to do the update. This is what the phone looks like. This is what we do. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And because of the brand that they've made, yeah. and society saying yes, Apple's a good brand. People are like, I don't care that it doesn't give me a lot of choices. I know that the one that I made is the right one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much like I was thinking about In and Out being from California. Sure, three items on the menu, like. Say what you want. Some people hate on in and out, but like <laughs> the thing is, and the reason they hate on it is honestly the same reason you would hate on Apple is like, if you don't like what in and out is giving you, then you're not going to like it. Cause they, yeah. they only given you like one kind of burger and there's going to be two patties, one patty cheese or no cheese, but there's literally a number one, a number yeah. two and a number three. And I love it. Yeah. I love just going in and knowing exactly what I want. Whereas you go to cheesecake factory and you're like, <laughs> hold on let me give it tw- give me 25 minutes to look through this entire menu and then i might as well read game of thrones in that amount of time as well <laughs> right it's, it's so challenging but that's interesting because i've never heard it put that way or so so simply that people don't actually want choice people want to be assured that the choice that they're making is right because there's so many things that seem to fly in the face of that so is he really saying that I guess it's kind of eating. It's like a snake eating its own tail. Because that really just means that people don't know what we want. Because if he's yeah. right, 
then Amazon wouldn't have so many selections. We wouldn't care about going to restaurants with big menus. No, but and this is where this is where Amazon nailed it is that they give you a lot of options, but they tell you what Amazon's choice is. True. And they're like, this also it's cheaper. You're gonna want this one. Yeah. And then you just buy that one. And they kinda of, yeah, they kinda of split the difference that right. way. So then for the outliers of the people who who think they want choice. I guess that's what Netflix and, and does. Some, some people do want choice sometimes. Uh-huh. But to go back to what you said, he's not saying that people don't know what they want. He's saying that people don't know what's going to make them happy. Like, right. I, I know what I want, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, if I if I put a search into Amazon and I don't know what the other options are out there, like, I've got an idea of what I want but I'm potentially open to another product. Like if Amazon goes, well, this one's better. It's yeah. like, all right, well, Amazon told me that was going to make me happy. So I might as well just go with it uh-huh. because I don't, I don't think it's going to make me unhappy. If it's not going to make me unhappy, then it's a good chance. It's going to make me happy. And so does this expand like beyond just products or food and just into everything? Like, for example, people think that marrying in general or marrying someone or, having kids those are like very standard like once i do this i'll be a fully realized human being yeah and i'll have purpose mm-hmm. so he's saying just generally speaking we just we get it wrong a lot arranged marriages have the lowest rate of divorce true because it's just like there there is a real argument for just accepting that this is who you're with Oh, and now it goes back to your life philosophy of I'm not in this necessarily because I think I'm making the right decision to make me happy, but I'm accepting what's been given to me and in so doing finding happiness. Right. So, so let's, let's take stand up, right? Cause like I could quit stand up today Mm -hmm. and quit it today. I have a job. I'd be totally fine. Could adopt a dog, get a girlfriend. You might die Move inside, to Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's exactly my point. I don't think, or like, quit it. I don't know if being a professional stand up will make me happy, mm-hmm. but I know that quitting stand up right now will make me unhappy. Mm. So, on a risk adjusted basis, I shouldn't quit. Mm. I shouldn't quit until the act of quitting stand up makes, does not make me unhappy. Ah, because at that point you've essentially reached parity. Yeah. So it could go either way. Mm-hmm. And if I'm turning down other opportunities, you know, like I can't hold on to a girlfriend or something like that. Yeah. And suddenly like you could hit this point where you have to, you have to push it up against something else. Uh-huh. Right. So if like five years from now, I decide that not spending every single night watching TV with my girlfriend will make me unhappy and stand up will or won't make me unhappy. Mm-hmm. Then on a risk adjusted basis, I should quit stand up and watch TV with that girlfriend mm. is at least how I think about that. Yeah. And it's also, it's kind of like a simple mental model to have because it's nice when you get to the point when you say like, look, I don't know. Yeah. And not knowing is fine. But it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who overthinks, it's terrifying. I hate not knowing. But it, it's still terrifying for you? Sure. Yeah? I hate not knowing. 
Do what? you just like you have peace? You accept like, and that's where the acceptance comes. You could just sit there and be like, I don't know. It sure. it, it depends if it's something where. I feel like I should like a simple thing would be it's very California of you. <laughs> so I hear. So I hear. <laughs> Apparently if I stay here long enough they'll rub off the California, but right now mm-hmm. folks are like, What's going on with you? Like what's <laughs> what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you know Espy, right? Yeah. Yeah. When when we first met, we, we got into it because like she didn't like me and then she later <laughs> told me she was like Yeah, I thought something was wrong with you. I didn't trust you. Because I was like, What? Why is he so relaxed and nice? Like, what's wrong with this, like, freak? He's like, oh, maybe from California? I don't know. I'm just hanging out. I'm just relaxing. And she's like, yeah, now that I know you, like, I see that. But I also still think it's a little weird how, like, nice and relaxed you are. I don't know. But, like, it bothers me to not know if it's something that I feel like I should know or could know. An easy example would be someone's name who I've met and I've forgotten. Like, that, Mm. that annoys me. Sure. Right? But if it's something that is literally impossible for me to know aka the future then like whatever like why Mm. and it's only recently that i think i've really gotten to this point like before i was just i'm not a huge planner i always have soft goals and things i would like to do yeah but i'm very much just to line them up and knock them down like what do i need to do today what do i want to do there all right i'm gonna do this and then we'll see what happens tomorrow so like back at jobs when they were like what's your five-year plan i was like i gotta lie to you because i don't (laughs) I don't My have five one. years is to not be here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't fucking. They don't like know. that answer. Like I could make a plan, but I have no idea what I want to do in five years. But it's like there's nothing you could do to change the past, and the future is a hypothetical. So, yeah, I might as well just hang out here and just. Mm, mm, so how do you like? Because you actually said it earlier with uh, Chris Stefano, who's a, a comic. He's a higher level than us, mm-hmm. but you were like. He said on a podcast that he was lazy, like mm-hmm. he didn't have the drive. Uh, and you were like, How did he like New York comedy is hard? How did he not have the drive but still end up successful? So I'll kick that back to you. Mm. How do you, as someone who is a planner, mm-hmm. like I've always got a plan, yeah, how do you still like push yourself to go out every night when you don't have when you've only got the soft plans? And there's no like immediate driver. Oh, well, all right. I guess it's kind of like the difference between strategy and tactics. Ooh. And I'll put together a bomb ass strategy if I have to, whatever reason, because someone's telling me to, or it's something like I'm really, really passionate about. But for the most part, I don't really do what I should do <laughs> with strategy, <laughs> which is terrible because that's yeah. way more important. <laughs> Like that's that's where the leaders are. That's where the money is. That's where the yeah. success is. Is you were talking about Apple? Our strategy is going to give people a great product in little choice. Go and execute, right? Yeah. But I know what tactics work, or I shouldn't say I know, but I choose the tactics based off of other people who have been successful, mm. saying this is what needs to happen. And if there's one thing that I certainly believe when it comes to excelling and improving in whatever area you're in it's that it's not about how much time you've been doing it it's about how much experience you get during that time right it's about time under pressure very interesting and we all know in stand-up comedy the general knowledge is it takes a long time to be successful if you're so lucky and they say it takes 10 years to find your voice 
which if you don't know what that means is it takes 10 years to be able to say stuff that people care about that you can speak to in a unique way that makes people laugh. Yeah. In a, in a natural way. Unique and well. natural. Certainly. Like it comes across as you people in the audience feel like they know you and you've also got all these jokes written and it's like the hardest thing to do in the, in the world. Yeah. Which is why it takes 10 years to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they use jazz as an analog to that a lot. And they talk about how, um, I'm not going to remember the guy's name, but the guy that came up with a uh, bebop mm. and the story I think is he was playing jazz one time. And I think someone, I don't remember if it was some that mattered or someone in the crowd, like threw a symbol at him, like on stage, like this sucks and threw a symbol at him. How did an audience member get a symbol? Right. Okay. So it probably was not <laughs> either. I'm telling the story wrong or it definitely uh, wasn't. I bring a whole drum member. kit to the concerts <laughs> I go to. This is like someone's, just in case. Gonna Never catch know. The symbol today. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, if I hear one more bullshit act, I'm hurling the symbol at him like a discus and I'm taking off their neck. Well, I don't wear a bra, so I got to throw something. And uh... Man, I feel bad that I don't remember the guy's name because it's someone that people would, would remember. But at any rate, apparently the story goes that after that happened, he went back to the lab. And I don't know if it was a month, a year, five years, whatever, but just he had that drive him. To eventually come up with a whole new brand of jazz, a whole new brand of music. And so that's what it is to basically find your voice in stand-up. But it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of drive and it takes a lot of effort. But going back to the time under pressure thing, I don't want it to take 10 years for me to find my voice. No one does. Screw that. That's right. a long time. Yeah. But the more that I get up, the more jokes I tell, the more experience I get the quicker I'll be able to find my voice, the quicker I'll be able to get better. And so to me, that's just simple math. I know that tactic is effective, even though it's not really part of a larger strategy. Gotcha. So it's, it's overall have a go with the flow attitude, mm -hmm. but you are reacting to the, you know, metaphorical hand that you're given. Yes. So it's like, all right, well, cool. Now that I'm in this situation, this is what I'm going to do as opposed to like trying to plan the entire strategy. Mm -hmm. And it, it works in stand up too, because perception is a lot like mm -hmm. I've <clears throat> as optics, as I've done this more, it's not even like, it is like stage. How do you come across on stage? But it's also like, how do you come across to other comedians? And you don't want to be seen as a try hard. Mm -hmm. Like, which is hard because everybody's trying hard. <laughs> it's like, they're like, everybody has to try hard, but don't look like you're trying hard. You got to make sure that this looks effortless. Otherwise people are going to be like, Oh, this fucking weirdo's trying really hard. And you're like, Oh my God, dude. Like, how do I balance that? Um, <laughs> and everybody like, wants this really bad. That's why we're in New York doing yeah, stand-up. You got to be cool. You got to be cool, man. Not once in my life has anyone described me as cool. <laughs> Interesting I've gotten. Cool is not what I've gotten. Um, so it's, but it's, okay. So going back to what you said about the the pressure, I want to loop that around to what we were talking about with convenience mm -hmm. before and like Amazon, making everything easier. At what point is it too easy? Right. And we were kind of talking about this with, famous comedians mm -hmm. like they have gotten to a point a lot of them like joe rogan kevin hart uh dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. where 
they have not been told that their jokes are bad mm-hmm. in years and their jokes have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. That also, I feel like that also happens to like normal people, like a day to day basis, right? Mm-hmm. Like they go to their day job. It's like, hey, you know, I'll do like a little bit of work here, that, that thing. They have like a stressful couple of weeks throughout the year. Yeah. And they just kind of like coast. They don't really get better at their job. And then they end up in like middle management, mm-hmm. which is great. If that's what you want to do. Then like, hell yeah. Yeah. But I also like personally, I want to get your thoughts on it. I feel like you need that pressure that mm-hmm. you were talking about in everyday life. Yeah. You need something to suck to actually get better. You need the metaphorical symbol to be thrown at your head <laughs> to actually like do something here. I don't know. What do you, I want to, I want to posit that statement to you and get your thoughts on that idea. I think you're totally right. However, it depends All right, on podcast over. No, <laughs> I did it. This is what I've been waiting for after a hundred episodes. Uh, yeah, exactly. I can finally call it quits. This is what I've been seeking. The validation. <laughs> you're that mom. I matter. Yeah. I matter. I didn't say you matter. I said you're right. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna put up a poster in my apartment that says "You're right, Ryan Thomas." <laughs> so, like, what are your favorite quotes? Like, my favorite one is this one from Martin Luther King. It's like a little known one. Oh, my favorite quote is from Ryan Thomas. I don't know if you know him, but it's "You're right. You're right." Parentheses, Corey. It's "You're right, Corey." That's my favorite quote ever. It resonates with me. I don't know why. <laughs> speaks to my spirit. Doesn't speak to your spirit. That's weird. I'd set it up like the Notre Dame football thing. I slap it before I go out to, <laughs> go out to every comedy show. Like in Ted Lasso You're with right. the believe thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you over here bombing for 10 minutes straight yeah. and you're just thinking like, I'm, I'm Well, right. Ryan Thomas said I was right. So obviously you guys are wrong. And uh, I don't know. Have a nice night. I, I tried to make this into a bit, but it's just a throwaway thought. But I, the reason that bombing is so funny to me is because like it's the only time when you're like objectively wrong in public. It's the only time it happens. <laughs> that is a really funny way to think. I've never thought about it that I way. I think it's maybe only funny yeah. if you're a comic. Yeah. But it's like you you have like there could be 10 people in the audience. There could be 100 people in the audience. Yeah. And everyone without communicating with words or even body language is just like, well, that sucked, huh? And everyone's like yeah that did suck that wasn't that wasn't funny at all (laughs) i won i do feel like normal people can relate to that because everybody at like work or something like that has had like they've had to lead a meeting and it just Mm -hmm. goes poorly (laughs) and like everybody everybody understands like they log off they go to their boss and like that was not good and everyone's (laughs) no no everybody's had that but i've told this story before on this podcast but it's been a while Mm -hmm. um the worst set i ever had was comedy was like Greenwich Village Comedy Club. I was probably two years in. It was a hot show. It was like a full crowd. Like everyone was having so much fun. And I'd like the first four comics go up. It was like seven comics. So I got a good spot. Like fifth in the lineup on a showcase show is normally like a pretty solid mm-hmm. place to go. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to crush it. Mm-hmm. Not worried about this. Not worried about this at all. <laughs> I go up and I eat shit for eight minutes. <laughs> I was like... Wow, they must have like gotten real tired real fast or something. Maybe that was like, dude, go up to after me, absolutely crushes. And I just sat in that back green room and I was like, they hated me. Like there is no other way to go about. They they saw my set and collectively, exactly like you said, were like, no, that's it. 
He's wrong. He's wrong He's to wrong. think this is funny. He's wrong. <laughs> Nothing. I don't like him. I don't like his set. I don't like how he sees the world. <laughs> I was like, wow. Oh, it hurts so bad. It was years ago, and I still could remember every single minute. And it's funny, too, because there's so many parallels between, like, sales and comedy, especially when it comes to, like, building a tough skin. Yeah. But in sales, like, you get to a point where you can at least say, like, I mean, they're not rejecting me. Like, a little, they're not really rejecting me. I'm trying to yes. sell some stuff. They're rejecting a product. But, like, comedy is 100% you. Yeah. It's all you. There's nothing. Yeah. If you didn't decide to do it, then none of it would have happened. You're the only variable. Yes. You're... But- but going back to my point, though, that was the last time I ever got on stage cocky. I got the metaphorical symbol thrown mm. in my head. And you learned your lesson. And since then, you've I been able on, to progress. I realized I went on stage and I was cocky. Uh-huh. I was like, these people are going to fucking love me. And I like they could tell that I was like a co- being a cocky dick uh-huh. during that. So I don't know. I interrupted you before. And you're like, you're right. What what part oh. of that did you want to push back on? But it depends on what your goal is, because you talked about leveling out at middle management. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I think if your goal is to be, call it the best you can be, just to be in general terms, or to keep progressing, keep growing, get better at X, Y, and Z, then yes, you need that pressure. You need those challenges. You need those shitty days. You need to go through crucibles to improve. But... Also, like, not that I've traveled much, but from what I understand, this is a very American mentality to have, which is I need to climb the ladder. Like, I always mm. need to be getting promoted. I always need to be yeah. making more money. I always need to be learned like that. Whereas there comes a point where is it really so bad to be making whatever it is, call it 80K a year, you got your finances, you can save up once a year to go on like a week-long vacation, you're relaxed, you're not stressed at your job, you come home, you read your book, you walk your dog, and you're like, you know what? I'm content. You know, like some people, I forgot where I heard this, but I was reading whatever spirituality book, and the guru person was like, I've met many a Zen master, most of them cats. (laughs) I've heard that before, yeah. And it's like, yeah. Cats seem to be doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> like they're kittens and then they're cats and then they're chilling. And I think most of them are pretty content. Yeah. There are cats that are dicks though. Yeah. I, honestly, there's a lot of cats that are dicks, but I bet they love it. Yeah. I bet that right. brings them joy. Human dicks are clearly unhappy people. Yes. But I bet cat dicks are like, fuck with this guy real quick. It's going to be funny for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it depends on what your goal is as far as the, the role that pressure and challenges play. But if it's something like we're talking about with stand-up comedy or sales where you you only eat what you successfully hunt, then yeah, like you need those challenges. Mm-hmm. But if it's something else, then go ahead, relax, kick your feet up enjoy yeah i mean that's that's where i would get back to what i was saying earlier about acceptance Mm -hmm. right like those people that are at 80k and they go on their one trip and they save up and they read and all this like they accepted that that's their life does it make them happy i don't know probably depends on the person 
But does mm-hmm. it make them unhappy? No. Mm-hmm. Because if it did, well, maybe they just complain. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are people that are unhappy but still don't do anything about them. About well, there's a lot of people doing. Like, the example that pops up in my head is just like an abusive relationship. Sure. Like everyone knows, like objectively, it's a bad thing. But people don't leave emotionally or physically abusive relationships because it's what they know. And going back to what you said earlier, the fear of the unknown is a very real thing. So there could be someone who's living what many would call a mundane life, but also a very normal life with the nine to five kid, whatever. And they're totally happy with it. Like, yeah. This actually ended up being what I wanted and I'm happy. But I would wager that a lot of people, hopefully not most people, but a lot of people live that life and do feel somewhat hollow, somewhat empty, somewhat unfulfilled. But then what's it going to take to shake you out of that and do what it is you actually want to do? Right. And that's the hard part, whether people intellectualize it or not. You can do what you want to do once you're stuck in that mundane life, but there is no guarantee that that's going to make you happy. Right. There's only a guarantee that it's going to be different, but different isn't inherently better or worse. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the feeling of being trapped, right? Like um, one of my favorite, uh, I guess maybe I shouldn't say favorite because it is a dark fact, mm-hmm. but like the origin of the Long Island iced tea Oh, is that housewives in Long Island that were told like, marry a rich man young and you'll be his housewife and raise the kids and all this other stuff like all of them with what we know now most likely had like severe depression and the drink long island iced tea came about because all of the women would take a little bit of vodka a little bit of tequila and a little bit of rum and make a drink out of it because if they took a little from each bottle their husband wouldn't notice the amount being gone oh my gosh right and so that's that feeling of being trapped. And that's where, like, in the 60s, like, if you were uh, uh, a wife of some rich dude and you had a couple of kids and you were miserable, like, you couldn't leave. You couldn't, like, pack it up and go oh, live in the damn. city. You couldn't, like, jump in a RV and get moving. And so, like, there's one argument for, like, well, they just kind of accepted their their life some of them did they just accepted it and they were like well you know it's not the worst like i've got i'm rich yeah like that's going for me (laughs) but then some of them couldn't accept it and those are the ones that like that suffered through that and like i'm not blaming them in any way because some people just like that would suck it'll drive me crazy i can't even live with my parents and they're great Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it's like (laughs) They're awesome. They're really good people. Yeah. That's what happens when you get sold on the dream. And that's the the shitty thing about it is there is nothing that they could have done to have prevented that outcome. Yeah. Because you don't know until you experience something. Experience is the most effective teacher, unfortunately. Unfortunately. You know what I mean? Because, like, yeah. if experience wasn't, like, the only consistently effective teacher, then we would have world peace. Yeah. We would literally have, if, if we could take lessons learned by others and internalize them and act upon them, then, like, we'd be living in utopia because the people that had seen war before or seen poverty and seen greed would be like, look, 
I had a hundred million dollars and I thought about killing myself today. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, so like money doesn't buy happiness. And they'd be like, <laughs> money doesn't buy happiness. And you'd be like, all right, good to know. It does prevent some sadness, though. Certainly. <laughs> certainly, certainly, certainly. <laughs> but like no one believes. That's why we always yeah. hear the same freaking narratives from celebrities and like musicians and stuff. At yep. a certain point, they always have that album or that song that's like being me is hard and being yeah. famous isn't what I thought. Just and to be bam, putting bam, out bam, the lonely bam. song and like. Uh, it's like, yeah, but you're lonely with a billion dollars. So like, yeah, and it's like, this is stuff we already know, but they feel like they have to make a song about it because they're like, yeah, but like now I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That is a, so in this, in this argument, is everyone essentially just socialist because nobody wants to be rich, hmm. richer than anyone else? Would everyone be social? Hmm. We'd be a lot closer to a socialist society. Sure. I think. But, and it's kind of like volunteering is another good example. Yeah. Where people say like, dude, I know you've heard it before. I volunteered and I got so much more than I gave. <laughs> and you're like, shut the fuck up. The real teacher were the kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's annoying because it's trite and it's played out and it's such a cliche. But then you do that and you're like, Damn, that kid really did teach me something today. Yeah, well, it's really all looking back on it, right? Like when I was in high school, I volunteered at the Maine Society. It was annoying as fuck when I did it. Like, uh -huh. yeah, I had dogs at home. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now looking back on it, I was like, all right, I did. I do like that I volunteered at the Maine Society, right? But there's nothing you could do. You just got to go through it to learn it. But yeah, I, I think we would be closer to being a socialist society if that was the case, because. Like, at least America is very good at selling people on the dream, which is very much steeped in how much money you make and what you can buy with that money to the point where, like, everyone is essentially playing the U.S. lottery. Yeah. Where we almost don't care that so many people, and we could be those people, are living in squalor, don't have an education, what have you, or are doing a terrible job that they hate. And they're getting paid pennies because you're like, but like if I keep my nose down, if I keep working hard, then I can be one of those people that has a three car garage. Yeah. So I'm going to keep working my ass off and suffering for the next five, 10 or 15 years because I heard the story about the person who started in the mailroom and is now a CEO yeah. or because I heard the story about the entrepreneur who had to bum on people's couches for two years, but then sold their company for $5 million. And we all, not all, but a lot of people hope or think that like that could be them where it's like, you could very much like stand up comedy also fall in love with the process of trying to get to where you want to be, which is, I think why so many of us still do stand up Cause like, unless you're absolutely delusional, you know, you know, statistically speaking, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Statistically speaking, none of us are going to make it, yep. but we'll know like, because we're in New York, we'll know a handful of people that do. Yes. Yeah. But a big reason why we keep doing it, because people are like, wait, you stand outside for two hours selling tickets when it's 12 degrees outside? Why would you do that? And you're like, you know, that does sound crazy, but I just really like telling these jokes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's worth it. It's also like, what else am I going to do with my day? 
<laughs> you know, yeah, like I don't have a better alternative. I fucking it's like I'm I'm already running out of TV, and it's like <laughs> I can play video games. I guess I don't know. It stand up is it's its own unique thing, but it's like I'll I'll bring it back to my dad. Like you know, him and a buddy recently bought like a rundown house, and they're renovating it. It's uh-huh. like if you told me like, hey, for the next six months, do you want to put up drywall? I'd be like. Fuck no. <laughs> but if, you know, but if you were like, hey, do you want to help me renovate and flip this house? I'd be like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. If I got nothing else going on, like, fuck it. What yeah. else am I going to do? And maybe that's like, maybe that's how we're wired. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that we keep pushing in stand-up. And that's how stand-up comedians are wired. Because if you're not, you're just not going to. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to, like, always be looking for something to do. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah yeah because so much in stand-up like your only reward is the stand-up itself and like maybe a drink ticket so yeah, like fucking rip off yeah <laughs> yeah i know i don't even i don't even really like to drink like that when it's a drink ticket no, i'm like I know. damn like i don't really want to drink or when right i now. do drink like that i get fat and then it then i feel bad about drinking like that and it's uh slur my words on stage <laughs> like it's not that's kind of i know i don't mind doing a drunk set every once in a while that's I'm privileged enough to do enough sets that I will yeah. burn one just being fucking <laughs> hammered every once in a while. Every once in a while. Uh, sometimes they go well and sometimes they do not. I can't. I can do a drunk set. I can obviously do a sober set, but I can't do like in between. Like I have to be mm. like full send. One of the like two. inebriated. Yeah. yeah. And like, All right, guys. Because <laughs> then I know I'm doing a drunk set. Yeah. But if I've just had like, I don't know, two, three drinks, whatever it is, yeah. then like I'm trying to do a sober set, but like I'm not sober. That's a good way. But to I'm do not it. on one. There is there is not much that's more fun than a set where you're hammered, you're doing <laughs> new jokes, and the audience is fully with you. Cause they're like, this guy's just making it up on the spot. And you're like a hundred percent. That is exactly what I'm doing right now. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, I think tomorrow I'm going to do because tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow's 420. Yep. And I'm doing a show. And I don't think it's a 420 show. I think it's a show that happens to be on 420. Yeah. But like it's on 420. Yeah. And it's with comics. So they can't get mad at me if I go up high. There you go. So I'm going to go up lit. There you go. And we're going to see how it goes. Just take a seat on the stool. Just start talking. Oh, Just I see love- where it goes. Dave Chappelle, that shit. Oh, man. Boy, I love me a stool set. I stool love me set a stool is, set is nice. so much. Brings like it's got to be the right mood though. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the right audience. Yeah, like they got to kind of know what's coming. The stool set is fun for your like more heady material. Yeah, when you want to be like, hey, like I'm right, huh? Like if you if you really think about it, Ryan Thomas told me I was right. <laughs> Fuck is Ryan Thomas? Uh, <laughs> he keeps bringing up it's like the sixth time. I know he's only been up there for two minutes. They're like, I gotta Google Ryan Thomas. <laughs> There's so many Ryan Thomas. Is he like Veer Doss? Um, <laughs> all right. That's an hour. Dude, this was a lot of fun. This is not what we were gonna talk about, but I appreciate all these types of topics. This is a, we gotta get you to come back at some point. But what have you got to plug? Instagram, I know you're doing videos which are great. Like I love I love the videos that you're putting out. Um Instagram shows all that jazz. Where right. can we find you? Plugs. Uh, plug Ryan Thomas comedy on Instagram and on TikTok. 
I post videos of stand-up and me basically doing like daily show weekend update yes. knockoffs, which like they're pretty good. They're pretty good. You'll probably like them. And I have a podcast of my own called The Vegan Chitlin Circuit that I do with one comic, Grace Johnson, out of New York, and another one, Stephen Marcus Relaford, out of L.A. So you can check that out on iTunes and Spotify. And that's called The... The Vegan Chitlin Circuit. Sweet. Mm-hmm. I will put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. As always, follow me at Corey T Comedy on all social media. I'm doing shows in Midtown Manhattan every single week. So if you're in the city, come to one of those shows at the Three Monkeys. Um, and then, yeah, like and subscribe to the podcast, I guess. Dude, this was a lot of fun. We'll do another one soon. Yeah, this was really good.